Good morning, Dublin Bible Church. How are y'all doing? Good. Oh, let me get everything together here. Well, first off, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Shane Preston. I'm a deacon here at this church. Uh, I've been here a little over 11 years now. Um, and most of you probably know me either through being back here or over here or over there. So normally that's what I do. That's one of the ways that I serve. I'm also, as I said, I'm a deacon. Um, and it's my pleasure to be able to get up here and, and speak to you this morning. Um, but before we get started, I just want to say a little, little prayer for us uh, before we get going. Father, I just want to thank you for the love and the grace that you show each, and, each one of us each and every day. Lord, things that we do that separate us from you, but, but your grace has covered all that. And Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, I just pray that the Holy Spirit would uh, just move today. I pray that uh, the Holy Spirit would give me the words. Um, and Lord, that people's hearts and minds would be opened. And Lord, we just thank you for the, to be able to get together and, and be in a place where we can come together freely and, and worship you and learn about you and grow in you. I pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Now, we are in week three of Better Together. And like I said, this was not necessarily designed to be put together this way. It just so happened, and, and I think Tim said it last week, when we had kind of gotten together initially and, and we had four of us that were, were lined out uh, to give sermons. And when we started talking in, about these things, we were like, wow, man, this is, you know, they really do kind of fit together. And it was all about better together. Well, you know, this is the third week of Chad being gone. And the first thing before we get started is uh, Wednesday. Listen, I, we all got together over at Chad and Marla's house, and y'all, it was such a huge turnout to help them move. I just, I'm amazed. That is fantastic. And I think y'all ought to just give yourselves a, a hand for the ones that were able to come out because it was a huge turnout. The, the outpouring of love just to, you know, just before they're about to move to show up and, and serve them like they've served us for so many years. <clears throat> now, I'm going to kind of get into a little bit of a story that is kind of interesting. Um, initially, I was raised up in this church. Okay, My dad kind of was not in church, and the family across the street from us... Uh, <laughs> basically became my parents' best friends. Well, they were attending a Bible study. Mackie was. Um, and basically what happened was he finally started kind of nagging and nagging and nagging and nagging and nagging and nagging and poking and nagging. And finally my dad said, fine, whatever. I'll go with you. Well, he started coming. Eventually this Bible study became this church. It was a very in-depth study. Um, there was a lot of very intellectual people, uh, <laughs> to say the least. But it did become Dublin Bible Church. And I was here until I could drive. We'll just kind of put it that way. At that point, when I had my freedom, I was pretty much checking out, doing my thing. Well, fast forward, I did my thing for quite a long time. But I always knew that 
I needed to be in church. I needed Jesus. I needed Jesus. Well, I would, this was always kind of where I would fall back to. Well, one day my dad called me. He's like, hey. He said, we got this guy coming. He's about your age. You need to come just check him out. I said, okay, sure. If I can function that morning. I'm just going to be completely honest with you. If I can function that morning, I'll get up. Dad's like, ah, you'll be there. He called me that morning to make sure that I was getting up to come. It was Chad. Now, back then, the stage was a lot smaller. It probably came out to about here, and it was just a little diagonal thing. So, you know, we're about where the rug's at. It's about the width of the stage. And Chad was giving a sermon, and I could not tell you one thing he said in that sermon, except he stopped. And I remember him stepping off the stage, and he kind of looked, and he said, you know, I'm not really here for the ones that are here. I'm here to help you. I'm here for the ones that aren't here. And he kind of got back on stage, and he just kind of kept going, and I said, hmm, that's pretty good. Wow. That kind of hit me. So I told Dad, I said, hey, you know, if he gets hired, I'll come back. Well, needless to say, first day he was here, I was here. I'm still here. <clears throat> now, today we're going to get into something that is probably not taught a whole lot about. It's about grief. As a Christian... How are Christians supposed to handle grief? Well, one of the things that I can tell you about grief, it's like a backpack. We all have a backpack that we carry. I got plenty of stuff in there. Now, if we don't handle it properly... We just kind of keep adding weight into that backpack. And it just gets heavier and heavier. Now, there's something that has to be done with this. If we're not pulling that out, we're just adding more weight. Now, I'm going to use a soldier as an example, okay? A soldier's rucksack... His total between his armor, between his, his weapon, his ammunition, can range between 75 pounds up to 115 pounds. Now, let's say you've got your fully maxed out and you go out on patrol. That is a medium-sized child or a small female that you are carrying on your body. Now, as time progresses and you go out patrol after patrol and you're marching and you're, you're, you're humping it and you're going through the mountains, especially you know, where they've been at, especially in Afghanistan, this weight really destroys their body. Most of these guys come back, they have bad knees, bad hips, bad backs, bad necks, bad shoulders. Not because they were shot. Not because they were beat up. Because of the weight that they were carrying on them. That is huge. So, 
what we're going to do is we're going to try to unpack some of this today. We're going to try to get into how we should handle grief. <clears throat> now, we're going to be in uh, John 11, 1 through 36. Um, what I'm going to just start off doing is this is not long before the Passover where Jesus is betrayed. Okay, We're closing in at the end of his ministry. So there's a lot going on. He's been kind of in hiding. He's not really hiding, but he, is, he has stayed away from Jerusalem and some of those areas because he already knows that they're out to kill him, and he knows his time has not yet come. Okay, So he has, he has stayed away from some of those areas. Now, we're just going to start on verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Side note, this has not happened yet. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you were going back. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they will see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Isn't it funny how sometimes Jesus just has to be so direct? He tries to Pull us along, and then he gets, you're not getting it. You're just not getting it. All right. Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad. I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us always go, let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives, in, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Side note, this is only the second time that somebody has identified Jesus in this way. So this is pretty cool that it's coming from Martha, okay. 
After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at peace where Martha had met him. At the place where Martha had met him, sorry. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. We're basically going to be in 35. The shortest verse in the Bible. And we are going to pick this apart. Now, I'm going to tell you, this, these passages have so much great teaching in it. Okay? But that's not what we're going to get on. We're going to be on Jesus wept. Now, <clears throat> it's important for us to spend some time on this. Uh, because we're all going to go through loss. Our church just went through a loss of our pastor. And we're in the, in the search of another one. Now, it was, it was one, it was a calling, and we sent him. And that is so awesome to say. Because that doesn't normally happen. A lot of times there's a, there, there's a disagreement, there's, there's you know, something bad happened, there's, there's problems, whatever it may be. We didn't have that. So it still hurts, doesn't it? I mean, if you knew him the way that I know him, I spent 11 years with him. 11 years. He's the one that got me on stage. He knew that I played. He knew that I'd been on the road. He knew what I could do. And I didn't want to do it. He's mentored many people here. Some of you have never really gotten to meet him. Some of you have never really gotten to talk to him. Other than just seeing him here. Well, that's, that's changed. It's over. But we're all going to go through loss. Jobs. Your job is not guaranteed. No job is guaranteed. You can make your job, and it still ain't guaranteed. Friends. Hey, jobs can take friends. <laughs> Family. Of course, we all, you know, when we talk about loss, there's, there's death. There's loss of friends. There's loss of family members. There's loss of security. I was a part of a family's house who burned down. I was there when it happened. I saw that through their eyes. And it's devastating. The grief, they couldn't even function. How would you? You're watching... Everything that you own, just within a, two hours. It really wasn't even that long. It was gone. We're all going to have unmet expectations. Maybe you didn't get the raise or the promotion that you were expecting. And you've been plugging hard and you've tried to do everything right at, at work. You know, 
Maybe you just thought you'd be in a different stage of your, of your life right now. I'm 45. I thought I'd, <laughs> I'd be in a little bit better financial secure, security. It didn't happen. Maybe we thought we'd be healthier than we are. It was a diagnosis of something. Maybe there was an accident. For students, maybe we didn't get into the college that we wanted to. Maybe we didn't get the, we studied, 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 and we didn't get the grade we expected. Maybe we didn't get that date with the girl or the guy that we wanted to. Maybe we went through a divorce. Another thing is untapped potential. And that's gifts that were never developed. How many of us had a dream about doing something and never tried it? Or never really focused on it to try to get better at it? Maybe it's gifts we didn't use and we don't use. How many of us can serve others with gifts that we have and just decide not to? In the church, there's always places to serve. But outside the church, there's always places to serve that we can use our gifts that God has given us. And then there's time wasted, not growing in areas that we would like to grow. Maybe it's just reading that book and we just ignore it. But all these things can lead us to grieve. To grieve. Now, there's five stages of grief, all right? Now, these are not in any particular order. Um, when I looked these up, there was anywhere between three and seven, but these five seem to really just, they hit every psych psychological or psychiatrical uh, page, okay? So when I was studying, these were kind of the five that really showed up. One, denial and isolation. Two, anger, normally happens if we feel something was unfair. Three, bargaining. Four, depression, and that's the full weight of sadness over our loss. And five is acceptance. Again, we can have one. We can have multiple. We could have very, you know, they could, we could have all five and be in a completely different order. Okay? So they didn't say um, that these are like a specific way that these things happen. And it does also, they never said that you have all five of them. So, the, but these are the five stages of grief. And we can experience, like I said, all or some of these. And I guess the question is, you know, why do we experience grief? Sin. The fall. It's very simple. When Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden because of sin, this was introduced. Could you imagine being walking with God on a daily basis and now being removed from his presence. How traumatic would that have been? That's where grief started. And it's been with us since, and it'll be with us until he comes back. Now, basically what grief is, is there's, there's just, it's a lack of control or a, or a loss of hope. 
So we're going to give you my definition of grief, grief, and grief is a deep sadness for a loss of something or someone important to that person. It's also a loss of control. I made, this is, like I said, I, I kind of broke this down, so this did not, this is my definition. Um, just so everybody's clear, this, didn't, this just came out of the Shane Marcus Preston Dictionary, not necessarily uh, the Webster, uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Um, but John eleven thirty five 35, again, Jesus wept. <laughs> Shortest verse in the Bible. And like I said, there are just so many deep theological views in, in these surrounding verses. Um, but it shows us many things about Jesus, but we're going to sit, like I said earlier, and Jesus wept. And, you know, when, when Pastor Chad told me he was, he was leaving and what was going on, this was the, the verse that immediately came to me. And, you know, I read through it and was thinking how Jesus hurts just like I do um, and was finding encouragement through that and how he can relate to my own feelings and, and you know, what we, and we see it three times in Scripture. We see where Jesus wept three times in Scripture. And Luke 19.41, and what I want to do is I want to read these real quick. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. All right, so that's the first time that we hear about it. All right. And then in Hebrews... During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So... All these were near the end of his life. And um, each reveals what mattered most to Jesus. He's a loving God. He loves his creation. He loves sinners like you and me. In Isaiah 53, 5, we see that our Savior was a man of sorrows. That's when it's stated first in the prophecy, and was acquainted with grief. So he does understand us. The more I studied into these passages, of course, we start kind of finding out maybe some of the things that I assumed weren't quite exactly the way that I assumed them. That's what happens when we study Scripture. That's what happens when we get deep into the Word. Sometimes things are revealed to us that maybe we didn't quite understand or or was a little shaky on, on what we believed about it. And, of course, Jesus is fully God, and he's fully human. Okay? He's both. So he had real emotions, but he also was God. So he knew what was going to happen to Lazarus. He knew what he was going to do with Lazarus. He knew he was going to raise him. So none of this stuff was catching him off guard. None of these things that, you know, when we're reading through the first part of the, 
um, of our verses, does it really seem like, why would it make him weep? When, when we're reading through it, we know why everybody else is crying. They've lost somebody. They lost somebody they love. Something that's interesting, too, is that Jews had a tendency, if they had enough money, to hire people to come in and mourn with them. Everything was an outward show, okay? It was an outward show of mourning. We, we read in the Bible where they would put ash on themselves, and they would tear their clothes, and they would scream and holler. They were very accustomed with grief, but they were also really good at showing it. The problem is, is what happens when you get good at showing it is sometimes you really don't feel it. Now, <clears throat> like I said, Jesus is fully God. He's fully human. We see multiple emotions all through the scriptures. He had righteous anger. He had anger, but he's God, so it's going to be the right kind of anger when he overturned the tables. Uh, <laughs> we see. We see a lot of frustration, primarily with the disciples, because they just couldn't get it. But he was, he was compassionate with them when he did get frustrated. Of course, he shows love. There's no doubt he shows love. He showed his love on the cross. He showed humility, and he showed grief. So we do know that he understands how we feel. Now, last week in Tim's sermon... He introduced something. He introduced the word agape. It's Greek for love. And it's an all-encompassing love. Now, I loved how he had, um, his definition was great. It's to act in a way that is best for someone else. This kind of love may accompany feelings. But it's not based on feelings. It is a decision to love someone else. Jesus' love is all-encompassing. It's all around. It's not about feelings particularly. It's because he chose to love us. So there's no strings attached. And because Jesus loves this way, he's grieved when someone isn't following him. Let's go to verse 7. And it says, And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. Now we're going to read through 10. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of, the, of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, and they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, sorry, just through 10, all right, and then 14 and 15. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go. All right, so he knows what's going on. He's trying to get them to go with him. So because he loves them, he has let something happen. Do we always understand this? No, and we don't, you know, we're not walking with Jesus and we're not during that time. So we don't have the, the physical Jesus standing there with us that might be able to raise a loved one of ours. Okay, we don't have the physical Jesus standing right there next to us that might be able to touch somebody that's got an infirmary. 
that has that's got a disability. Um, we don't have Jesus to preach to us like they did. So he's constantly working on, on the disciples and others, okay? But this agape love is an all-encompassing love, and that's what we're talking about here. He loves them enough to let some of these things happen so that he can point them to himself. That's what it's about. You know, and like Tim said, the Greek language has words for everything to give a better description. Okay? Now, Jesus wept. And I had read two other passages where it described to him weeping. Two different words. Mary, Martha, family members, and others that were there were weep, weeping out loud. It was a very show weeping, okay? They're, they're mourning out loud, and they're, and they're being very vocal about it, okay? They're getting out their emotions. The word wept that, Je- that is describing Jesus is a compassionate, quiet release of tears. So he's not mourning like they are. He is not hurting like they are. Weeping over Jerusalem was an outward pour like they are doing. Okay? Different weeping. He knows that the destruction that is on the way to Jerusalem, he knows about what's going to happen to him when he's mourning over the city. He knows that people are not going to believe in him. And he knows that those people will never, ever be with him. This one is a little bit different. He's going, he's looking at all the people and he's got his disciples with him. And they still don't believe he is who he says he is. And it hurts him. And he's weeping quietly because some of these people will not experience him. Even though he's fixing to raise a dead man. This is a compassionate side of Jesus that is that, that a lot of times it's just kind of hard to comprehend. That's why I love the fact that Tim last week talked about how the Greek how Greek has a, a very distinct and special way that they would describe. Well, we have one word for it. They have uh, multiple definitions. They have multiple words for it. It really kind of describes what's going on. So the, the bottom line today is Jesus is our hope in our time of grief. Now, in our supporting passages... We see many who were hurting, but also didn't know who Jesus really was, and that's what I was talking about earlier. And he was hurting for them because they didn't know him. But he wasn't grieving in the way that they were. Jesus was hurting for the ones lost and wanted them to know the glory of God and to know that he was the only way to heaven. 
verse 25 right here. He says it specifically. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. That's why he's hurting me because he knows some of them are not going to believe that. No matter what he does, they're not going to believe it. We all grieve. We all have hurts inside us that must come out. But the problem is, is that not all of us know how to grieve. That's the problem. I'll be honest with you. I, I, don't, I am just scratching the surface on this stuff. Now, I have, <laughs> the way that I used to grieve was uh, in outburst anger. I'm just going to lay it down. You didn't have to go looking for a fight if you wanted to you know, make me grieve. And that's not a good thing. That's not how I should be. That's not how any of us should be. But I carried a lot of weight, and I didn't know what to do with it. Now, I will say this. Women are much better in this, but definitely not perfect. So culture kind of gives us two ways to mourn, and both of them are awful, okay? Everything hurts. Everything offends. 